This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. In today's episode, we are focusing on the spiritual dimension in sport. This is one of the key strands of my own research, and together with my PhD supervisor, Dr. Mark Nesty, whose work has been foundational in this area, we have written a book together with the title Meaning and Spirituality in Sport and Exercise, Psychological Perspectives. Mark was already a guest in the podcast a couple of months ago, where he discussed sport and meaning under the COVID pandemic, drawing on his work in existential psychology. After the recording, we thought that we should definitely dedicate another episode to the topic of spirituality in sport, which has been our shared interest. Olli Tikkanen has kindly agreed to host the episode for us so that we can discuss with Mark the work we've done together. So I'll hand this now over to Olli and thanks Olli for, for hosting the episode. Thank you, Nora. It, it is a pleasure to host this chat with both of you. I've studied myself biomechanics and exercise physiology, but also some sports psychology, but I never came across anything related to spirituality during, during those studies. So uh, this is somewhat a marginal topic, and I would be interested knowing how you got interested in this topic and mark your work has been foundational to the study of spirituality in sports psychology so would you like to start with this one thanks ollie um i suppose that's part of the problem with something like spirituality it's it's probably quite an important point to make straight away and this might be one of the reasons there are many but one as to why it's probably been overlooked in our field, in psychology, but probably sports psychology even more so. And I would say that uh, trying to define exactly what spirituality is, if you like, trying to speak about it in um, a way that is recognisable to everybody is is a much harder task than in many other um, areas of psychology. For example, if I speak about motivation or confidence, you reasonably confident um, that uh, a number of people would have a good idea of uh, what that concept, those concepts are and, and what exactly you're talking about. So the first thing to say, Ollie, is that um, even though it might seem a bit tedious and long-winded, and I'm not going to do this now because there's, there's a decent amount of writing on this, obviously outside of sport, but within sport, um, is to try and um, actually say what spirituality refers to. So I, I would say, um, as, as an opening gambit for me, one of the interesting things um, about spirituality is that you can view it either associated with 
uh, a religious perspective, whatever that religion happens to be. So if you like, it's got a uh, an interest in transcendence, uh, speaking more ordinary language. It's um, an account about what happens in terms of life and ultimately death. So a kind of religious um, way of viewing spirituality. And, and also this word and terminology around it can be used in relation to a non-religious account. And, and usually there we talk about meaning, about life meaning, and, and also even more ordinary words. And I will stop at this point because there's so much that we could, uh, uh, we could um, delve into from here. Um, but words like love, um, massively powerful word in every part of life and, and including in sport. Um, and words like courage, which, which can't be um, easily described as, if you like, a psychological construct and nothing else. So there are some words, there are some ideas, um, if you like, that are more grounded in human spirituality. And, and then there's obviously, as I said, um, a whole tradition that is related to religious spirituality. Yeah, I, I think that was a really nice uh, opening clarification for some of the difficulties we have and, and what we've debated and discussed several times with Mark. I guess from my own part, just to say that because I studied theology uh, and not psychology as uh, when I first started my university studies and I did a master's degree in theology. And I mean, in that field and that, that discipline, it's <laughs> very normal, so to speak, to talk about spirituality and there were not like a lot of problems with that. And so towards the end of my studies, I I became quite interested in these ideas about the spiritual dimension in our everyday lives. And, and for example, there's a Catholic theologian called Rahner who has written about this everyday mysticism. And then it was kind of my personal interest to start looking at that spiritual dimension in our everyday life, which involves sport. And I was reflecting on my own experiences of running. And, and that was my start of how I started studying that when I moved to the field of sports psychology. And I think a funny background story for that also to mention is that when I started doing the first literature searches, when I started looking into my master's thesis in sports psychology, so I looked at sport and spirituality, and there was a book that was published in 2007, Sport and Spirituality is the title. And I started my studies 2009 and I went to ask for the librarian to, can they order the book because we didn't have it at the university. And so she ordered the book for me. I started reading and there were two or three chapters on spirituality and sports psychology. And somebody called Mark Nesty had written those chapters. And, and that was basically my entry into these questions in sports psychology and there wasn't a lot of other literature out there at the time so yeah i can probably say how delighted i was then to that we met with mark i think in copenhagen something like 2011 or 12 and and then how mark you became my phd supervisor and and then off we went to do more work on this together so yeah that was a strange um, and really fortuitous um, little connection that we had, Nora, because I didn't realise that was going to happen, of course, when I was in uh, in Copenhagen, um, in Denmark. So um, that was facilitated um, by by someone 
Um, we don't need to mention him, but he facilitated that. And I think, but it's quite um, pertinent to what we're talking about. And and I, I think part of the reason that he could see that would be a connection between us was because he had a, a pretty broad perspective himself in relation to psychology. He, he uh, you know, could see that psychology um, included more than, if you like, just a very reductionist, um, empiricist type perspectives that, that psychology is um, notorious, if you want to put it in those terms. I think it's just extremely attractive, the fact that there are so many different perspectives from a very natural science perspective, uh, a very, you know, usually quantitative perspective, an experimental perspective, way, way out to what looks like the other side, and we can argue that it probably isn't, but way out to the other side of the continuum, where we're talking about uh, holistic perspectives, we're talking about um, some of the work that, say, somebody like Carl Jung um, and the Jungian psychologists would be interested in. So you mentioned mysticism, um, uh, Nora, in, in relation to sport as well. Um, but obviously yeah. they were interested in it in relation to a whole host of uh, other domains of life. So um, I think that uh, one of the other attractions for me was to reflect um, on my own reality of doing a lot of applied work was that there seemed to be, you know, not in all cases, but in many cases, um, a particularly at a high, high level, uh, a considerable interest in some ideas that were best located within more spiritual type literature um, in psychology. So I'm sure we'll talk about these in a minute, but um, and I don't want to lead you off somewhere that we, we don't necessarily need to go just yet. But, but some of the work from Michael Murphy, I know you've been really generous mentioning the book that I was involved with, with uh, a number of other academics in the UK, which was fantastic to do. Um, but Michael Murphy and uh, in, in the zone in the, the 70s, Ken Rivitza, around the same time, looking at uh, flow, looking at peak experiences. Um, so the, the, there were some, particularly in the States, there were one or two people who'd actually um, drawn on a broader perspective in psychology and, and looked at, if you like, the discipline from a more holistic perspective and included, um, it, certainly in relation to performance, um, spiritual accounts and spiritual ideas. So so um, then that seemed to you know disappear. It's true. It seemed to um, fall off the uh, off the radar, and uh, and then you know meeting yourself and um, with your theological background, and and in the UK um, working with um, somebody, um, Professor Jim Parry from Leeds University, who had a philosophy background, and was interested in a number of areas. I'm uh, certainly interested in, in areas like Zen, um, and then a, 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 a member of the clergy who was also an academic. Um, a, a, an Anglican cleric and, and, and a, a professor um, who drew, who draw obviously on a more theologically informed version. And then when we were um, at York St John at that time, um, another colleague, Nick Watson, who was drawing drawing on a particular um, perspective within Christianity to inform some of his writing. So it it was a a, a nice coming together of um, a number of uh, disciplines, if you want to put it in academic terms. Um, and you know, you obviously have have, uh, have have been very much part of that in the work that you've done since. 
Yeah, so very interesting story how you how you ended up working together and and writing the book. So as as Mark said, there's the religious perspective on spirituality, but also non-religious about meaning, love, courage, and other things. So how how is the spirituality in contemporary society and what are the difficulties in defining and and studying it nora would you like to go first with this one yeah thanks Olli. so i think mark already gave a nice introduction to some of these difficulties you will have and it's certainly not the easiest topic or concept for for us to be researching and just to say that kind of in the finnish context when I did my first study on spirituality in running uh, in Finnish language there isn't like a very good word for what what we use word spirituality so there's something that is a little bit more like mental or psychological even and the other word is more like religious so sometimes people would very much associate spirituality with religion and if they are not religious then they would consider that that's not necessarily something that they would relate to the idea of spirituality outside of religion whereas in in some other cultural contexts there is a lot more popular not popular but let's say that it's more common for people to understand spirituality that is much broader than religion and certainly existential psychology has had this conceptualization of of spirituality that is something that is relevant for for all humankind and not just religious people and when we were writing the book together with mark we were more drawing on this broader notion of spirituality that is something that is related to existential meaning making so whether my life has purpose why are we here these kind of big existential questions then this sense of transcendence this sense of connection that you have these moments when you feel a sense of unity and connection to the world and others around you or or this sense of um we have all these moments some would call it uh, flow some would call it runner's high and peak experience and those things that mark also mentioned already so we wanted to include that as well so we wanted to take a very broad starting point to our inquiry and i guess the last thing before handing over to mark i think it's very important to say that the ways that spirituality is understood in different cultural contexts is very different as well. So when we are writing our book, we are bound to our Western background and and our understanding that is based on our cultural context. And, and we are very aware that in other cultural contexts, the way that people think about uh, spirituality and religion is certainly different. I think um, you've covered an awful lot of, uh, of, of key points there. Nora, and I'll just um, just pick up on two or three just to keep developing um, these ideas. So the the cultural issue, we we were really aware of this when we wrote uh, our book together, um, and I remember we had you know conversations at times, um, you know, making sure that uh, we acknowledged that in the book that this was the context that we knew best, which was a, a Western context in, in more specific terms, a, a Finnish and a British perspective. But more more really um, accurately 
uh, it was a Western perspective that we're drawing on. And, uh, and that we made the point, and we certainly discussed this, um, which I think is actually really quite exciting, is that uh, the Western perspective um, is the minority perspective in the world. I don't know what the population at the moment is of the world. I forget. Is it seven or eight billion? I, I lose track sometimes. But it's, uh, it's certainly much, much, much bigger than those who are typically considered to be in the, uh, the Western context. The Western context is a minority population. And uh, the majority population of the world um, still, compared to the West, retains um, a strong connection to both religious spirituality in terms of religious practice and how important that is in their lives. And, and, and alongside that, and, and in place of it sometimes, but alongside that, um, a human spirituality. Uh, uh, these terms, um, spirit, spirituality, um, you're quite right, Nora, that how they're expressed, lived, encountered, um, is you know very much dependent on on the individual culture and history and traditions and, and all those other sorts of factors. Although what's also exciting, and maybe this is something that might emerge in, in future work, um, it, you would imagine that there would be um, common elements as well. Um, if you just take a word like love, it, 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 you could imagine that there will be some very different ways of, of uh, understanding that in, in, in different contexts, but there will also be some very shared understanding of what that actually might mean. So there's some really interesting and exciting things still to do, but that was one of the interesting things for me, and that tied in nicely to some of my applied work, um, particularly over all these years, last 20 years, um, doing bits and pieces of work in first-team environments in, in English Premiership football, where you know, increasingly many players um, would be from uh, other parts of the world, not, not European and, and Western contexts. And not all, of course, not all, but, but many of them would express in, in sessions with me that their um, spiritual, either religious um, worldviews or uh, sometimes just an openness to, to spiritual concepts and, and words, that that would be really hugely important in their identity. In, in who they were and, and therefore how they lived and how they dealt with all the challenges of being an elite professional athlete. So um, I think that's really important. And, and then just to, to finish, you also said, Nora, there about existential psychology. And that was one of the interesting things as to why we both popped up in Denmark, neither of us having any Danish connections, I believe. Um, and, and in modern times, probably Soren Kierkegaard is the, the person most associated with that that strand of uh, of writing in philosophy and theology to some degree and uh, and psychology, and that the attraction for us of the existential perspective is that it was taking a very holistic view of um, you know what what a human person is, and and uh, either explicitly or implied was that we are a, a mind, a body, and a, a spirit, and that the spiritual dimension. Um, is as real as, if you like, the other two, if I could put it in such terms. And so existential psychology, phenomenological psychology as well, a sort of different slant, and I did mention Jung, um, but certainly for us existential psychology, particularly you know, the, the um, writers who have been like Frankl, Viktor Frankl, um, Van Kam, there's, there's been a number who've been um, much more um, open and have highlighted 
um, existential psychology's um, openness to ideas of spirit and spirituality and associated terms. So that that I would recommend. You know, if anybody's listening here and wants to know where to go and do some further reading, um, I would I'd recommend that that's a, a good place to start. Yeah. So so you were telling about cultural differences, how people understand spirituality and i can clearly see as nora said that in finnish language we don't have and as that is my mother uh, tongue it's it's sometimes a little bit difficult for me also it's easier to understand in in english and and probably some of the listeners might be still struggling what is spirituality and what is not so mark could you Could you explain a little bit more, like, why do you consider that, for example, love is is spirituality and not not something else? I think many of the listeners haven't thought that it's it's uh, spirituality. Okay. Um, so, just maybe back to your initial point there, Ollie, about you know the restrictions of language in different cultures, and and I mean that's that's hugely interesting in psychology, but but. Um, and uh, cultural psychology, but you know, obviously, would have implications in every aspect where psychology is relevant, including sport. So that's a really, you know, an interesting dimension maybe for somebody to, to pursue and look at. Um, and and I, I never understood that until I met both of you, um, and then thought, oh wow, that's quite different to English because English is a strange language that's most people um, who know about these things know that English is essentially a combination of. Uh, Germanic language and uh, and Latin, um, and so we have the benefit of, uh, if you like, of the you know much of Europe pouring itself into one language that gives it all sorts of um, strengths and uh, and and facility that uh, that maybe some of the languages don't have. And one of the interesting things about spirit is that word spirit spirituality is from the Latin spiritus, and and spiritus actually means um, wind. And it's like, well, that's a strange connection. How on earth does that come in here? And and in a way, um, without sounding too po- poetic now and taking us down another path altogether, and there's been you know writers in all of the arts who've written about um, you know love, which is what your question is, and uh, and trying to describe exactly what this is. And and it's not that far. <laughs> this may sound very far fetched, but it's not that far from talking about something like well, well, you know what actually is wind because you can reduce it. You can reduce lots of terms, if you like, to um, a, a mathematical, um, a physics based um, account, um, and yet somehow you still are able to fully capture that term. You you could if you imagine that I know it sounds rather strange but if it's something so common so understood by everyone everybody's lived and experienced it and uh, and if you say well here's wind and here's what it means in terms of physics and here's what it means in terms of maths and it's like but but that's not what it actually means when it's lived and and so if I could extend to much more much more powerful words maybe one of the most powerful if not the most powerful words that we have in humankind and love. Um, when somebody tries to describe to you that love is just a um, biochemical reaction and uh, it, it's it's caused by um, movement of neurons in the brain, uh, and here's a mathematical equation that can capture what love is, you know you're only being sold part of the story, if anything at all. 
So one of the interesting things about words like love is that when you come to define them, and that's not done in an easy sentence, that's done in books and books and books and different accounts, and in the end it's never completed, which I know is very frustrating for somebody who's got a maths background, because it's like, well, where is the answer? And it's like, no, no, we will not get to a complete answer, but we'll get to a better answer, a better account. And love is best accounted for in terms of something that is not something you could reduce to um, its parts. It's greater than its parts. And it's like, well, where's your evidence for that? And it's like, the evidence for that is what that idea, what that word um, creates in human living, in every aspect of human living, including sport, uh, in, in, in creates all sorts of incredible things, which in many ways are not even uh, rational. In, in simple terms, they don't make sense. Unbelievable levels of uh, commitment, unbelievable levels of self-sacrifice self, um, and um, selflessness. And all of these words um, can be talked about by you know, psychologists in terms of um, cognitive constructs. But if you take the phenomenological view, which is, no, here's a real word that is probably slightly differently expressed, maybe across cultures, but actually shared. The, let's take the one that we're pretty sure we, we know this exists in normal and healthy situations the love of the, uh, the mother for their child. I know there's plenty of other versions of love, but just that particular um, encounter, th th this, this word defies reduction to, um, as I say, a number of cognitive constructs in biochemistry. So the argument, if you like, is more about what's missing in the description rather than expecting you to come to a complete and total account of something. So... Um, it's those sorts of words that typically writers throughout history and place have, have um, described as being an indication that we are not mere matter. We cannot be reduced to our biochemistry. We cannot be reduced just to our physiology. We are something much more than this. And a word like love would um, encapsulate that. And, and I know that that is... A description that will be very unsatisfactory to a lot of people but that's the difficulty of speaking about some something that is so well known to us it's well known to all of us it's not abstract in in, in its real sense we, we encounter this in our lives or have done um, and yet you can't fully completely totally describe what it is but more accurately and that's what I'm arguing you can certainly describe um, what it's not. And, and so that leaves a small number of words, but a number of words where you would say, no, no, the, these words or certain traditions will have said this and certain perspectives in psychology would say, no, no, the, these, these words describe um, a form of human behavior that, that we will call love um, because you, the following things happen or um, this is how it's felt and this is how it's um, experienced in terms of thoughts. So, it's looking for, and I say, not everything falls into this category. Of course it doesn't. But it's looking for words that are um, not possible to fully explain um, by the usual way, the usual channels. 
and uh, nobody and absolutely nobody has yet come up with and, and they never will come up with the perfect complete um, definition of a word like love and and so it's that type of level of human word that um, connects to you know, human experience that suggests there's something else whatever that else may be a religious person would say but a religious person would say that that's God God is love love is God and that would be articulated in different ways somebody who doesn't subscribe to that would say it suggests that life is about something more than just our material day-to-day -day existence. The, the experiences and meaning are much more important than just our material experiences. So it's those types of words, Ollie, and, and just listen to how hard I've had to work to try and explain this. And now you can see the frustration of people who want a quick, easy answer. Imagine the frustration of somebody who says, I want you to quantify this, please, Mark. I mean, that's just incredible to ask that question. It's a complete misunderstanding. Um, or imagine the frustration of someone who says, look, that's very good, but can you give me this in one paragraph? And it's like, no, it, it, it cannot be reduced. It's not that you can't see meaningful things about it. You can, but, but you can't complete the task. And that's okay. That's what, you know, philosophers, that's what philosophers spend their time doing. They rarely, if ever, say that they've completed a task. It's always open to a better account. But it doesn't mean that anything counts. It doesn't mean that it can be anything. It still means we work towards something. Um, so that's a really, really powerful word that most people take for granted, which is a good sign. That's normal. Um, and yet when you sit down and start thinking about it, you just know love does not mean something like motivation. It does not mean something like um, desire and determination. It's something bigger than that, which is why we use it usually quite carefully. Yeah, and just a little bit continue from that. I think it's exactly what, what you talked about is one of the reasons why sports psychology hasn't considered spirituality too often, because spirituality as a as a concept doesn't really fit into a natural scientist logic of and and sports psychology has has been historically striving to establish it itself as a credible discipline by that we can measure things and we can show that if you do this and that this will lead to improvement in performance and that kind of things and if if spirituality is something that cannot be even defined or you cannot give one sentence about what it is then how are you going to study that then of course for us to be researching something we need to have an idea what we are studying but just to say that what i did when i was becoming quite frustrated with this question was that uh, i also enjoy reading uh, for example tao te ching so the taoist book by by lao tzu and and it's it's this very strange uh, sayings and I mean the famous part of it is that the Tao that can be described is not the enduring and, and the unchanging Tao and, and the name that can be named can, uh, is not the enduring and unchanging name and I also enjoy reading like Zen Buddhism and 
and they have these paradoxical problems that they put out there and, and they refuse to conceptualize and define things. So it's something that you need to somehow just, you know, reach the right answer without <laughs> people conceptualizing for you what is going on. So uh, just thinking about spirituality through through that as well has been kind of one one way that I am approaching uh, these questions. I think that's really interesting, um, Nora, because you've you've um, mentioned a piece of literature there, and I'm, I'm familiar with some of that. Um, and the Eastern, let's just call it the Eastern um, perspective. It, it may be described as something else now, but uh, but when we're talking about uh, Tao and, and Zen and uh, and Kung Fu and, and martial arts in general. And, and how those have been approached, and and uh, you know the great uh, the great masters of martial arts, um, whether it, whether it be you know Aikido, Jiu Jitsu, uh, Kung Fu, different forms of Karate, that many of them would claim that uh, that these activities that are hugely physical that require incredible technical skill, but they would claim that there's a spiritual element, and possibly. Um, from certainly what I've read, I think they would claim that the spiritual element is absolutely fundamental and central to the best performance. And so you think, well, so there's been a tradition there. And, and I think it's very unfortunate, personally, that the Western tradition of spirituality, which people typically in the West have associated just with a religious worldview. And if I'm not of that particular religious worldview, then I can't engage. And that's such a, a missed opportunity, such a shame. Because there are spiritual traditions. I work with an American. Um, he's, a, he's a professor of sports psychology and a Catholic priest. His name is Father Pat Kelly, and and he um, obviously is, is, is a Jesuit, which means he uses Ignatian spirituality, which is a particular way of um, developing. It's much more than this, but developing um, uh, an approach to your life that is grounded in a spiritual way of, of being. And, uh, and when you look at that and you, and you see it, it's, of course, not exactly the same as other religious and spiritual traditions, but there's much that's shared. And you've just described some of that, Nora. So I think it's really exciting that, it, you know, we've got, if you like, Western um, or, and Eastern or right across the world, a better way to describe it, um, versions of um, uh, spiritual um, psychology um, in action. And, uh, and just to, to finish the other point you made, um, I think tying into the other point that, you know, in terms of the difficulties psychology and therefore sports psychology has had around these sorts of terms and the desire to quantify and to have, you know, psychometrics that measure spirituality in sport, which do exist. And some of us are very uncomfortable with that, as I certainly am. Um, and, and it's like, well, I'd like to encourage psychologists and sports psychologists particularly to read more philosophy. Uh, it's, you know, particularly in relation to this, philosophical accounts that um, are open to you know some of the ideas we are speaking about now and can give a, a, another perspective a different grounding um, in terms of why this is a legitimate area in terms of why this has been a topic throughout the history of of time um, as far as we can see and uh, and you have to ask the question you know phenomenologically speaking why is that the case uh, why would people make something up just for you know no reason at all it has to be something that is grounded in our everyday lives and our encounters with life and, and death and and meaning 
and uh, and the other words we've used. So I'd, I would say that, you know, back to your point of um, the difficulty for psychology and sports psychology, particularly, is that I'd like our discipline or more people in our discipline to step away at times and, and if not read theology, which is one of the great strengths you have, um, certainly go into um, some of the philosophical work um, that, that will uh, allow you to have a better grasp of legitimacy of, of this type of uh, idea. Yeah, thanks. Really, really good points from both Nora and Mark. And Mark, I, I loved your explanation why love is spirituality. I think it was really, really good that good that it's the words that really escape our explanation or which are difficult to reduce to something. And I, I think love is interesting that in modern western society you need to be rational in most of the things but we still have special positions for for love thanks for joining us this week on physical activity researcher podcast if you like the show make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on twitter this podcast is made possible by listeners like you thank you for your support If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.